did, I thought, I sent you something on Thursday, and then I realized I sent it to the wrong address. So my apologies to Lily and to the Chinese community. She's translating on the fly this morning because of my fault, and my brain is uh, slowly but surely going to get back into gear here today, but thank you to Lily. A welcome to those of you who are watching online today as well. It's great to have you uh, join us and be a part of our service um, wherever you are and wherever you find yourself this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, the chore that I hated the most, and I mean that, hated, was weeding the garden. I didn't dislike it. I hated it. My mom was an avid gardener. Trees, flowers, and vegetables. And when I mean vegetables, I mean every kind of vegetable that you can grow in Canada. Peas and onions and tomatoes and potatoes and carrots and spinach and on and on. She and my sister still have a garden to this day, and it's over an acre in size just for vegetables, just to give you a sense of how much they love gardening. But as I was a kid, I remember, and this is kind of how I remember it. It might be a bit skewed. My siblings and I, on a hot summer day, would be in the house preparing for fall studies, And my mother would come into the house and call us to come on out and help her weed the garden. It was a scorching prairie heat. She would give each of us a 10-gallon pail and would not allow us a drink, a rest, or any food until that pail was completely full. We would go out, our backs bared to the blistering prairie sun, picking thistles mostly, our hands bleeding, until we almost passed out from exhaustion. That's how I remember it. My mom may have a different memory. Now, I've talked to a lot of gardeners. I hate gardening, but I've talked to a lot of gardeners, and none of them have ever said to me that they enjoy weeding their garden. But they know it's necessary. Now, weeds aren't just bad because they're ugly. They're thieves. They will steal water, and they steal nutrients in the soil meant for your vegetables or meant for your flowers. But not only are some of them ugly, some of them are deadly. Some weeds left unattended will kill whatever it is that you are trying to grow in your garden. And today, I want to talk about the spiritual discipline of weeding our spiritual garden, our lives or getting rid of those things in our life that are stealing or taking away from the threat to the work that God is trying to do in our hearts. We're in the middle of a series called Summer Projects where we're encouraging you to think about a spiritual discipline that you might introduce into your life so that you can experience more of the grace of God. It's normal for every Christian to go through seasons that feel dry, where our faith feels like a struggle, that's normal. Every Christian grows through that. And so it's important then to think about, if I'm in one of those seasons, what are some ways in which I can refresh or renew my faith? And our hope is that over these last number of weeks, you've heard of some spiritual disciplines, maybe some that you were familiar with and have retried again, maybe some of them that have been new to you, and you've tried it for the first time. And you're discovering in some different ways that God can have access to your heart and his grace can overflow into your life. 
And if you'd say you've been struggling to get some traction with Christ, then in particular, I want you to pay attention to what we're talking about today as it relates to weeding your spiritual garden. And at the core of all of this, and don't miss this, is that God wants to spend time with you. That the God who created the universe, your heavenly Father, wants to spend time with you. He wants to make his blessings your blessings. He wants you to experience the freedom and the grace and the peace that he died on the cross that you might have. And he has an agenda to make that available to you. And you and I need to think about what do we need to do to make sure that we can be receiving what God is so desperately wanting to give us. And whether you're a new Christian, whether you've read a little of the Bible or a lot of the Bible, God still wants to make himself available to you today. And we hope that that message and that truth would just open your heart to receive what it is that he wants to give you. So we're going to talk about two different kinds of weeds this morning, and then I'm going to introduce you to a scripture, and then we'll, and then we'll be finished. The first weeds I want to talk about today are weeds that steal. These might be habits or hobbies, relationships, or attitudes which take root in our lives, and they start taking up way too much space. These are often really good things. These are good things. This is not sinful stuff. This is just good things. But we allow them to have too much room, and they squeeze out more important things. And oftentimes, they squeeze out space and time and energy for things that God is wanting to do in our lives. They are thieves, and they take resources that God means for elsewhere. Let me give you an example. I found this ancient study from 2014. So think about how much it's changed in a few years. That shows that Canadian adults, this is not teenagers, we're not picking on Canadian adults spend two and a half hours a day on their cell phone. That's the average. There would be some that would be higher. Think about how much time that is. Two and a half hours a day. If I told you this morning that, look, I'm going to start playing nine holes of golf every night, seven nights a week, you would say, how could you have time for that? That's less time than this cell, this cell phone study. If I told you I'm going to start driving to Callis, Maine every day to buy my milk, you would say, that's crazy. That's a two-hour trip. And I would say that's still less time than the average Canadian spends on their cell phone. Both examples, think about that for a second, are less than two and a half hours each day. So let's imagine for a second, just bear with me, humor me. Let's get crazy and imagine that we only spend, we decide to spend only an hour and a half a day on our cell phones, okay? So we're almost Amish at this point, so an hour and a half a day. You've now got seven more hours in your week we would be able to get done all the kind of chores, the daily chores around our house that we so often complain that we don't have time for, wouldn't we? We could spend parents' quality time with our kids. You know, that parent guilt that you live with because you don't spend enough time with your kids? That could be gone. Now I'm going to Jesus juke you here a little. We could read scripture, have time in prayer, send an encouraging note to somebody going through a difficult time and still have one and a half hours a day to scroll through Facebook and look at how unspiritual all of our friends are. <laughs> right? 
Now, I'm picking on using cell phone, and my kids are probably sitting in the front row thinking, okay, preacher, um, I'm guilty of it myself, absolutely. But are there weeds in your life that are taking up a disproportionate amount of time and energy? And yet we're still always complaining that we don't have enough time to do the most important things in our life. Weeds that steal. The other kind of weeds, and these are more dangerous, are weeds that kill. These are weeds that kill. These are weeds that actually look maybe like plants, but left unattended, they will kill whatever it is that you're trying to grow. We have a weed like this in the garden. I'm not sure if it was a plant initially, so I kind of let it grow. It wrapped itself all around our trees, and it killed them. I can't remember its name. My wife has a name for it, but I can't repeat that name from the platform. (laughs) Are there weeds in your life like this that are harmful? Maybe it starts as a way of helping us sleep, and now we can't live without it. It started as a friendship, and now it's developed into an illicit relationship. It started as a habit, and now it's grown into an addiction. I think of something like pornography. It started as curiosity, and it's developed into a habit, and now it owns you. It bosses you around. And there's so many other examples I could use. Alcohol, prescription drugs, shopping, all kinds of things that start to harm us and destroy us from the inside out. And here's what happens. These weeds, they take over, and we become their slaves. And ultimately, they have the potential to destroy our lives, to destroy our faith, to destroy our witness, and to destroy our families. And one of the spiritual disciplines from the beginning of time has been weeding your spiritual garden. Reflecting on our lives and hearing God say to us, put on your gardening gloves. It's time to pull out some weeds. Now, when we approach this spiritual discipline, how we approach it matters. And I want to read to us today a gospel story where Jesus is going to speak to two groups of people and address the weeds in their lives and challenge them to remove them. So if you want to turn with me this morning, John chapter 8, starting at verse 1. John chapter 8, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read through to verse 11. John chapter 8. Some of you, it might be helpful to follow along. Seeing the words helps you take in the text. For some of you, maybe just listening to it will help you. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time. 
the older ones first, only until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's look at the two groups that Jesus kind of addresses in this passage as we think about this topic of weeding our spiritual gardens. The first is the group of Pharisees, all men. They have come and they've set up a trap, and a bad one at that. Because it always takes two to tango, and, and the Pharisees have conveniently forgotten to bring the gentleman also involved in this adulterous relationship. They simply just bring the woman. And the reality is, these Pharisees are not the least bit interested in this woman. When Scripture calls us to point out sin in someone else's life, it's because we love them. And we want what's best for them. Not to shame them, never to embarrass them in public. These guys were not worried about this woman's sin, nor her partner's sin. They did not love her. They were using her. She was a pawn in their game. And they even used scripture, inappropriately, mind you, to justify their behavior. And in that moment, Jesus, in the most economical way, reveals the judgmental weeds in their own lives. They pose a question to Jesus, and I love his response. He kneels down, and he kind of scratches something in the ground with his finger. Now, truth be known, no one has any idea what he wrote. It says nowhere in Scripture. Everything is speculation, but I love these two speculative suggestions. One is Jesus was providing dignity to the woman by drawing attention away from her. Everybody was staring at this woman in the middle of the temple courts, staring at her, and Jesus does something that makes everybody turn their eyes away from the woman and on to Jesus. He was giving her dignity. That's a first speculative guess. The second is that he's de-escalating the situation. These men are there, and they're mad, and their knuckles are white with rocks in their hands, and they are ready to pelt her with stones, and Jesus is trying to cool things down, regardless of the reason that he did it. And while his actions are mysterious, with one sentence, one sentence, Jesus reveals the weeds of anger and judgmental hatred in their hearts. And he simply says, those who have never sinned can throw the first stone. Those who have no specks of dust in their eye can point out the log in this lady's eye. Those who have no weeds in their garden can point out the weeds in this woman's garden. And slowly, one by one, the stones thud to the ground and the men start to walk off. And everyone hopes that they go home to deal with the weeds in their garden, the anger and the judgmental attitude. Now Jesus is going to deal with the weeds in this woman's life. And I'm struck by the scene, and I don't know if you can picture it. Imagine the large Jewish courtyard. This one lone woman. Jesus, who's been kind of scratching on the ground on his hands and knees, and just a pile of, empty, of rocks left all by their lonesome. And Jesus speaks again. This time, he uses two sentences, 23 English words, and he makes a powerful, profound, two powerful and profound statements. First, I don't condemn you, and second, go and sin no more. Now, for this lady, and for all of us, this is incredibly important that we understand both of these sentences, and in particular, the order in which they appear. We all understand 
that when we see weeds in our life, especially the kind that kill us and destroy us, that we should stop doing them. We get that. When Jesus says, go and sin no more, yeah, we, we understand that. That's easy for us to understand. But the starting place for any effort to rid your life of sin must start first with understanding Jesus' first statement, which is go, I, which is I don't condemn you. It must start with the grace of God. And I'm not always sure we understand how powerful that first statement that Jesus makes towards this woman really is. I mean, how can Jesus say that to her? She was caught in an adulterous relationship. How can he say to her, I don't condemn you? When you and I think about the weeds in our own lives, when you think about the things that we have done, if you can imagine someone catching us in our most embarrassing moment and bringing us into the middle of the church service today, how could Jesus say to us, well, I don't condemn you? And the answer, of course, is the cross. We often say Jesus lived the life we were meant to live and he died the death we were meant to die. And when Christ died on the cross, all of the condemnation and the punishment that was rightfully due to be directed at us was placed on Christ in that moment. And he dealt with it once and for all. And when he says those powerful words, it is finished. It means that condemnation and that shame that is rightfully ours is also finished. It means the punishment for the Pharisees, for their hateful, judgmental hearts, this woman's adulterous behavior, and all of our sins and wrongdoings were placed on Christ, and he's paid for them all. So, as we recognize sin in our lives... We do not approach it as people condemned, but as a people who've been liberated and have this vision of Christ and what he longs for us before us. And we're then empowered by the Holy Spirit to leave the weeds behind and pursue all that Christ has for us. I'm gonna show you some verses in Romans chapter eight. I love these verses. Just uh, bear with me for a few seconds. I know the font's a little small. This is Romans chapter eight. Paul writes this. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own. Who's accusing us? I don't know about you. The short answer for me is me. The biggest accuser in my life is not you. It's not my family. It's me. Accusing myself of all the things that I've done wrong, reminding myself of all the things that I've done wrong, staring at the mirror and feeling guilty for things that I've done wrong. Paul says, no one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. What about this next line? Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. So as you put on your gardening gloves today and you think about the weeds that are in your own life, know that Christ died for you. That's the starting place. He was raised to life for you. That's the starting place. He's sitting at God's right hand, pleading and interceding and making heaven's resources available to you. That's the starting place. And can you feel how much more powerful that is than just saying, I'm guilty, I'm a no good sinner, I'm a bad Christian, I did it again, I better do better next time. 
This is what Christ has made available to each and every one of us. So, if you're here today thinking, look, you know, there are some weeds in my life. There's some things that are taking up too much time and too much energy, and I'm not doing the most important things. Or there's some things in my life that if I leave these weeds and allow them to grow and grow and grow, they are going to bring me down. They're going to destroy something sacred in me. Then, allow this vision of Christ speaking to this woman be your motivation. Not as a condemned person who must do this in order that God would love you. Not as a slave, but as a daughter or a son who loves you. Who's already paid the price. Who has already taken your condemnation and your shame and in your embarrassment upon himself. And gives us this vision of a life of freedom. Empowered by the Holy Spirit that we might go and experience it. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, this morning, we just open our hearts to you. Allow us to have eyes to see not just the weeds that are in our life, but the freedom we forfeit by allowing them to remain. May we, your beloved children, receive your power to act, to do what we need to do, not to earn your favor.